read today from Romans chapter 5, verse 12 to 21. And I am going to try and... I'm so sorry. Hang on. Okay, there we go. All right. Um, Please read along with me as we start at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might, bring, sorry, grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks, Bron. Well, let me add my uh, welcome to everybody. Uh, And also, um, if you're new or you're just visiting us this morning, um, really special welcome to you. It's great to have you here with us this morning. Uh, And as I said earlier, uh, Paul Cooper's my name. Most people call me Coop, so feel free to call me uh, either of those. Um, How about I pray as we begin? Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for this new morning and for your uh, gathering us here this morning around your word. Father, we ask that you give us ears to hear, uh, eyes to see your truth. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, last week you'd remember we looked at the beginning of Romans chapter 5. And uh, as Jane said, um, the beginning of Romans 5 gives us this real certainty of being brought to peace uh, with God, to be saved to life. 
And now we'll be finishing off Romans chapter 5 this morning and we'll be looking at these verses that really talk about the ground of that confidence. You know, what is the foundation for this confidence that we have in being brought to peace with God through Jesus? And as we just heard uh, in our uh, reading there, it all starts with an account of how death entered our world, how death entered our world through this one man, Adam. And um, I'm sure you remember the account. God tells Adam and Eve, the first humans, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what he says. Don't do that. But they do. They turn away from God's way and they decide to live their own way and actually to decide or to discern good and evil for themselves, to make their own decision about that. That's what sin is. And the consequence of sin is, is death. And so just thinking through the, that act, um, you know, Adam, he, he consciously chose to turn from God, yes, but he didn't consciously choose death, did he? It was a result of his sin, yes, but he chose sin. He didn't consciously choose death. That was just the outcome of choosing to turn from God. And so since that time, humans have struggled against death, haven't we? We've struggled against it. We've resisted it because actually it's not normal. We've come to think that it is because it's all around us and it's, you know, it's, it's the way uh, the world works. Um, but actually it's not normal. Now I want to um, read you an article from a, a US newspaper. This is from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And it's an article that was written a few years ago, back in 2018 now. And, uh, and they wrote this. Several startups and tech companies are actively working to help you beat death. I have the idea that aging is plastic, that it's encoded. If something's encoded, you can crack the code, says June Yun, a doctor who runs a healthcare hedge fund and is given two million to fight aging and death. If you can crack the code, he says, you can hack the code. And the article goes on and says, in late 2017, Dr. Sergio Canavero, director of the Turin Advanced Neuromodulation Group, drew international outcry when he claimed he would perform the first live human head transplant very soon. And he aims to take a living patient and transplant their head on a fully functioning body. And the doctor and his team have been experimenting using cadavers, this article says. Uh, but it goes on to say many in the medical community have warned the technique just isn't advanced enough to make this feasible just yet. And then finally, the article concludes, Tristan Quinn, a Russian internet millionaire, has bet a hefty portion of his fortune on defeating death. The ultimate goal of my plan, he says, is to transfer someone's personality into a completely new body. And he explains he's attempting to unlock the secrets of the human brain and upload someone's mind to a computer. Within the next 30 years, he says, I'm going to make sure that we can all live forever. So just in that, there are huge efforts, aren't there, to beat death? Huge efforts, billions of dollars, thousands and thousands of hours, all in this struggle to beat death. All that medical expertise, except the guy that's trying to transplant heads. I read that and I didn't think he didn't sound very expert to me. But there's a lot of effort going into that, isn't there? And none of it will ever succeed. 
Because the reality is that no human technology will ever solve the problem of sin. So it will never deal with the consequence of sin, which is death. And all those billions and all those resources are just wasted. And the thing is, we don't have to solve that problem. Those researchers are about 2,000 years too late because it's already been solved. It's been solved by the gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ. See, as we heard from our reading there in Romans 5, death entered the world through one man, but so did life. And these verses in the back half of Romans 5, they tell us about this gift, righteousness through Jesus Christ. So just like death entered the world through one man, life entered the world through one man. Jesus, who came to set it all right, to return things to normal and to return things the way they were intended to be, to be made right with God. So let's start at the beginning. That's always a good place to start. The consequences of sin. So this is the first point. Death reigned in Adam. Death reigned in Adam. Now verse 12 says this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Now, obviously, uh, this one man that the Apostle Paul, who's the author of, of Romans, this one man that he's talking about is Adam. God created us. Adam was the first. And as, uh, as I said earlier, Adam turned from God, wanting to live life his own way, not God's way, wanting to decide good and evil for himself. And... Uh, as a consequence, um, he, he sinned. Death is the result of, of, of sin uh, and is not normal. It's abnormal. We accept that it's inevitable because it happens to everybody since Adam, but the normal state of things was before Adam sinned. And the way things after that is abnormal and we've become used to it. Now, Adam rebelled against God a little bit further along in Genesis 3 God says have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from God says this to Adam and Adam says the woman you put me here with the woman you put me the woman you put here with me she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it so can you see what Adam does here He's trying to shift the blame from himself, isn't he? He blames his wife and he blames God. It's like he's saying, well, you put her here with me, God. What did you expect? Now, Adam corrupts himself. And I wonder from this couple of verses here, can you see how morally corrupted that he is now? Shifting the blame. He chose his own way. He's no longer morally upright. And you can see it in this little discourse here and how he's trying to blame others. He's trying to convince God that it's not his fault. And he's just attempting to sort of duck his responsibility, isn't he? It's all the fruit of a corrupted nature. And Adam, he represents the human race. He was the beginning of it. And so he brings sin to it. And everybody since Adam individually sins and are responsible. And so death has been with us ever since. God's consequence of sin. You know, morally corrupt creatures aren't going to be allowed to live forever. 
I was talking to a, a bloke last year who'd seen some really dark parts of life, um, some really desperate parts of human nature. And, um, and I asked him if he, if he knew this bloke Jesus, and, and he didn't. And I spoke to him about the Bible and what the Bible's got to say about human nature and how it's fundamentally corrupt. And he wasn't surprised, you know, he didn't miss a beat. To him, this just explained his life experience. And I think if you look back over human history, there's something in that, isn't there? There, is, there does seem to be something fundamentally wrong. It was quite a few years ago now uh, before we had kids, but my wife and I uh, lived in the UK and we did a trip across to Poland. And uh, in Poland, um, the Auschwitz concentration camp was built back in 1940 and you can walk through it. And so we did, and uh, you read, you know, all the murals and the information on the walls, and it is really confronting. About one and a half million people went through um, this uh, place here and were killed. And you see all the personal stuff that they brought to this camp with them. All the hairbrushes and the false teeth and the kids' dolls and toys and all sorts of things. And it really hits you. And we went through came out the other side and we went and sat and we were just numb. I remember for hours, just silent because it was disgusting. It was just so morally corrupt what had happened there. And actually, um, more than morally corrupt, it was morally bankrupt. And it's what can happen when you decide good and evil for yourself. And reflecting back on human history, it does seem to be full of this sort of thing. It happens again and again. It does seem to indicate that something is broken, doesn't it? And this issue that we have, it's something shared ever since Adam. Even those who existed before God gave Moses the law, if we think of the Ten Commandments, even before the law was given, those people were guilty, even if there wasn't something to measure their guilt specifically. Which is what uh, verses 13 and 14 that we just heard read say to us. Verses 13 and 14. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin's not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. See, God only gave the law to his people in Moses' time, but there was death before Moses. So how does that work? How could there be a punishment like death if there wasn't a law to break in the first place? Well, the thing is, there may not have been a written set of commands to break, maybe not even a verbal one like the one that God gave Adam but there was still sin and if you remember back when we covered Romans chapter 1 uh, the apostle Paul wrote this in verse 20 for since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what's been made so that people are without excuse see turning from God it still results in guilt because everybody knows that God exists, even if there's not a set of laws that have been published sort of stipulating how to live God's way. And sin 
might not be specifically added up in someone's account before the law is given. But it's still sin and it still existed. So imagine uh, maybe centuries ago living in a new colony perhaps and the law is not public knowledge yet. Maybe the courts haven't published it yet. You don't know the specifics. And there's a murder. You know, somebody commits a cold-blooded murder on the street. Maybe some random attack. Now, if that happens, they're still guilty, aren't they? They're still guilty. They just don't know if they're going to get 20 or 30 years in prison because the law is not published. But either way, they're still going to jail. And it's a bit like that with sin. Maybe without God's law being published to clearly show it up. It's still sin. And so uh, as we've been talking about, every human since Adam suffers from this abnormal condition called death. God's judgment on sin. And sometimes I wonder, individually, when we really grasp that, if we really think that through for ourselves, we might wonder, could anything ever really fix such a depth of depravity? Could anything really fix that severe wickedness? Could we individually ever really be forgiven? And these next verses show that God's plan for redemption is so much greater than even these very, very worst depths of human depravity. And they show he absolutely can. See, Adam, he's the pattern of the one to come. And if one man can bring universal ruin, well, then one man can turn it all back. Which is where we'll pick up our second point. Life reigns in Christ. Life reigns in Christ. Now from verse 15 we get this magnificent description of this thing that God has done once and for all to deal with this human problem. Verse 15 where Paul writes, But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. See, the sin of Adam, the human, resulted in sin for all. All sin and so all die. But God's grace was to give a gift, the gift of Jesus. Sacrifice to bring forgiveness to those who trust. It's a much bigger gift than any individual sin. It, it overflows because Jesus is God the Son. Who was given for you. And it's a sacrifice that overflows. Because there's no greater sacrifice. That could be made. It's so much more sufficient. For our sin. It's an overflowing gift of grace. Think of a man dying of thirst. And needing a few litres of water. Maybe a guy like uh, Moro Prosperi. This isn't Moro but. Moro ran the Marathon de Sable, which I think I've pronounced correctly. Anyway, it's a marathon, uh, and it's an endurance race that he ran in 1994, and it looks a bit like this here. And I don't know why you'd enter a race like this, because it's 250Ks across the Sahara, and you have to run it in under a week. It sounds nuts. Anyway, Moro enters, and he finds himself in the middle of a sandstorm. This is a true story finds himself in the middle of a sandstorm and he gets lost for days and he needs water. 
So he drinks bat blood. He drinks some of his own bodily fluids. He does this for nine days and then after nine days, he stumbles on an oasis. And it perhaps looked a little bit like this. Now can you imagine that feeling? Nine days in the desert, trapped in a sandstorm. He just needs a few litres of water. And he stumbles across this, an entire oasis. It's abundant. There's millions of litres in this oasis. It's much more than enough. That's what God's gift is like to us through Jesus. It is so abundant. It overflows. It covers us. And we see this description in verse 16 where it says, Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. So here again we see this contrast between sin and the gift and the graciousness of God's work. One sin resulting in judgment. That's understandable, isn't it? One sin resulting in judgment. But many sins and trespasses through all the ages resulting in justification. That is a miracle of miracles. That is a gift beyond our comprehension and then again in verse 17 for if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man how much more will those who receive god's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man jesus christ now there is a change here isn't there in in what reigns or in what rules once Death reigned. It had the last word. Death reigned. But now people reign. The ones who receive God's grace, they reign in life eternal. And so unlike all of that research into stopping death that I read from that newspaper, see, Jesus deals with the cause of death. He deals with sin. And so death no longer rules over us. It's like diving into that oasis and going for a swim we're we're covered in the abundance of god's grace we're dripping with it and we're counted as being right with god through faith because jesus is god counts that righteousness to us even though we don't deserve it and god's judgment of death no longer applies it's a gift and because of that gift we'll reign in life with him which brings us to our final point grace reigns through our lord jesus christ grace reigns through our lord jesus christ now verses 20 and 21 say this the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase but where sin increased grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through jesus christ our lord so as i said earlier while the law wasn't needed to prove guilt one of the things the law did was sharpen it see after the law was given to the israelites turning from god 
then it is like the sin of Adam. It's transgressing a specific commandment, a direct commandment. So by giving the law to the people, the effect magnifies their sin. But ultimately, it has a positive effect in God's plan to save. Because however deep human sin was shown to be against the law, God's grace, his capacity to forgive, is shown to be even deeper. And if you think about it, nowhere else is sin displayed in such a terrible act as when the Israelites, God's own people, God's chosen people, who were under the law, handed God the Son over to those who didn't believe to kill him. But it was then and there that the abundance of God's grace was truly demonstrated because that monstrous act of sin, that was what resulted in God's grace being poured out in mercy for all people in all time. And so while everyone in common with the man Adam suffers from sin, everyone in common with the man Jesus Christ is offered this abundant gift, the death and resurrection of Jesus to bring the reign of grace. Sins forgiven and life eternal by trusting Jesus. And each of us, each and every one of us needs to make a decision about that. You may be here this morning and you may personally know this reign of grace that Jesus brings. And if that's you, praise God. Or you may not just yet. But either way, there needs to be an explanation, doesn't there, for this brokenness and the cruelty that we so often see marking our world. And we all agree that we all die. But if that is just the way things are, why is it that we struggle with it so much? See, these verses today, they have an explanation for it. They say that human condition is not normal. They say that every human in common with the man Adam, they suffer from this abnormal condition that the Bible calls sin and death. And they say that there is a solution. They say that every human in common with the man Jesus Christ is offered God's abundant gift of grace, the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. No biotech billionaire is going to give that away. And if they could, they'd probably want to sell it anyway. But it won't be possible because they're trying to fix a symptom, which is death. But the disease is sin. And they can't cure sin. But Jesus can. And he did. And he gives the cure out. He gives it out free of charge. It's like that oasis to a thirsty man in the desert. He'll give it more than you could possibly need. And each of us need to make a decision about it. Because no decision is still a decision. If you haven't accepted this gift of grace yet, make today the day to look into it. Ask me or ask the person that you came with or have a read of one of the biographies of Jesus near the beginning of the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, is a good place to start. 
And if you need a Bible, I would be very happy to give you one, free of charge. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for dealing with this problem that we can never solve. This brokenness that we see in humanity dealt with by the perfect man, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your abundant gift of grace. The great sacrifice made by your son and that by faith, his work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, you make us right with you, forgiven and given life. Help us to turn ever more to you, Father, confident to reign in life through him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.